0: Welcome to the 21st episode of the Law Black One-to-One podcast. My name's Chris Allen, I'm the managing partner of Black Solicitors. I've worked in West Yorkshire for over 25 years, and during that time I've met some interesting people in both the business world and the sports world. And now, as we're all back in the office, I'm looking forward to catching up with some more of those people to share with you their stories, their anecdotes, and even possibly some of their advice. I hope you find the interviews interesting, engaging, and even educational. Normally, we'd be thanking Pete Bott and his band, Duton Charger, for the music that they've provided to us over the series. As you may have gathered, I've now got our own signature music prepared, and you'll have heard a bit of that at the start of the podcast today. And just as we did last time, we're gonna pop the whole piece of music at the end. If you like it, let me know. And if you don't, keep that to yourself. So whilst this podcast is called One to One, today I'm breaking with tradition, and it's really a one to two as I've got two guests from the same sporting institution, Yorkshire County Cricket Club, with me today. And that's Matthew Fisher and Harry Brook. Matthew Fisher, despite his looks, was born in the last century, but only just. Now 22, he made his debut for Yorkshire at the age of 15, which I can hardly compute, and hails from York. Harry Brook, is 21 years of age, made his debut for Yorkshire whilst at school, and his county championship debut Debut was in 2017. Harry's captained the England team at the 2018 Under 19s Cricket World Cup. And we're going to be talking about that experience shortly. By comparison, your host today clearly went to the wrong school and played a lot of table tennis. So, chaps, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Hello. Thank you. How are you? <laughs>
0: I've got some questions for you guys um, Matt, let's start with you if you don't mind uh, the season's just finished Yorkshire finished top of one of the divisions in the Bob Willis tournament, just talk, talk to us about the season that's been and how, how, how did you and how did the team feel about that result and, and just missing out on the final
1: Yeah, um, I think we were fairly happy with how uh, we ended up in the, in the four day stuff I think um, we had a decent amount of preparation time after the COVID stuff. I think we had about a four-week build-up um, to try and get ready for Durham. Um, and yeah, I think we played fairly consistent cricket. Um, obviously, Pato, with his experience as captain, he he uh, he kind of he sets the tone with that that stuff with patience and knowing when to attack and when to defend and and stuff like that. So. Um, yeah i think we're fairly fairly happy with both facets of our game with bat and ball um i think there was a lot of good performances with the ball and um a lot of strides in the batting um i think we yeah, we caught, we scored runs fairly consistently and and took wickets very cheaply which is always good and what we strive to do so i don't think we could have done much much more than than that i think we lost something like 400 overs to rain i think Gailey said so um in that regard, I think the, the weather wasn't in our favour, but um, we did all we could do, really. And you could always say you could pick up batting and bowling points elsewhere, but um, that's, taking, that's taking the nitty-gritty to a different level. So, yeah, fairly happy, all of us, with our performance, really.
0: So it's, so it sounds like Yorkshire were pretty well set up for that. Uh, did you get any impression, and perhaps I'll throw this over to you, Harry, did you, did you think the opposition were all as well prepared, or do you think the COVID lockdown had had an effect on some of the opposition you played? Like?
2: Um, I don't know when they started going back to training, but like Fish said, there uh, we got a, a four-five or week period to get ready to get ready for the first game. So um, I don't really know. Uh, also, like you said, we got stuff with the weather. We would have probably got through if we'd have if we'd have if we'd have finished the two games which we which we lost.
0: Um, but yeah, I don't I don't really know about the county. And when, you, and when you play other teams like that in a normal four-day game, do you, is there any mixing of the teams? Do you do you actually socialise at all in the evenings or do you catch up with each other? Or is it, uh, I mean, let alone in the whole COVID time, but in a normal season, do you actually spend any time with the opposition? Do you actually spend any time talking to them?
2: Um, whilst I've been playing, no, not really. But some of the older lads who have been around for a while say that they used to... Every third night, they all used to go into the bar and have a drink together. So, uh, I think they used to, but I think that's gone out the window now. I don't know what you think,
1: Fish. I think with yeah, I think with us, I think it's just who you've played 19s with, isn't it? Like, um, we might catch up with a couple of players that that we've played with before. Um, that's all we'd really do. I think, um, like Ruffy said, I think there used to be a lot more mixing, um. 10, 20 years ago, which probably didn't happen as much more now, which I'm quite happy with because I can't, I like keeping them um, at arm's length, really, opposition. I don't like getting too close to them because in the battle you want to be kind of aggressive and you want to beat them. So um, I quite like that.
0: Yeah, interesting. And and the preparation for the games that you had, um, obviously, over the summer, was, there, was the preparation vastly different to last season when obviously we weren't as affected by COVID? Yeah, for me, one hundred percent.
2: We didn't really, we didn't really have much time to prepare for T twenty stuff, and and um, personally, I'd like to prepare a bit longer. Um, but we we had we had a lot of time to prepare for the Red Bull Red Bull um stuff, which is nice. But you you still want to be you still want to have quite a lot of time to prepare for the T twenty as well because it's just as hard going from from Red Bull to T twenty. So, um, yeah, it was a bit different, but. I was just glad to be out there playing and not sat at
0: home all day waiting to be <laughs> waiting to be training and playing. Yeah, talking to lawyers on podcasts. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> what about these games then? So you I mean, historically, of course, you you know, somebody listening might say, Well, you know, you're you're with the best greatest respect, we don't get massive crowds at the county championship games normally. But T twenties at Heading like pretty busy affairs. How how was it when you're walking out? To the crease, Harry, and there's nobody. What I mean, I appreciate there's a few people watching, but does it does it change anything for you? Did you were you thinking differently, or do you think you were more relaxed? Um,
2: well, when I was out there, no, it didn't really make a difference. But when you're sitting there waiting to bat, and and there's no music on or anything, you you can hear a pin drop. It's it's pretty poor atmosphere to be fair. But um yeah, when I was out there, I was in the heat of the battle and and just trying to get to business and trying to win as the game. But um, yeah, it definitely made a difference whilst we were sat on the sideline and, and especially in the field as well.
0: And Matt, did you did you find it very different with, with
1: yeah, the little or no I, crowd? I've I found it weird because I've looking back at it now, I actually missed it in Red Ball, where you don't get many. And didn't miss it really in T twenty, which sounds weird. But for my performance I felt like when, when it's four-day cricket and you're coming on for your third spell and you get that little bit of a ripple of applause and um, they mention your name coming on to bowl, I, ca- I kind of quite like that at that point because it's, it's just a, such a test of your stamina that that gives you that extra bit of boost at the end of the day or something like that, which I definitely missed in red ball. But in white ball, I felt like without the added noise and the music, it was actually easier to think a bit clearer Um, And especially I feel like as a bowler, um, it's such an intense game for a ball. Well, it's intense for both, but you can really get put under pressure as a bowler. And I think just having that, um, like not much noise in your head that you can clearly think and then bowl your next ball. And I actually enjoyed that part of it, um, which obviously isn't great if we get back to a crowd because I'll need to improve on that. But um, yeah, I did enjoy it um, in T20, not having it, to be honest.
0: I mean I ask the question because I've watched a match the day the other day and obviously they're playing all the football matches with little or no crowds and there's some incredible goals being scored and there's a perception that goalkeepers aren't doing as well as they used to but it crossed my mind that perhaps one of the reasons is that the players aren't under as much pressure without the 40,000 people screaming at them and perhaps they are conducting themselves a bit more like they would in training and just letting rip with some of these shots I don't know do you think that's possibility or have you have you felt that way in any way that you've relaxed a bit more or have you found it sounds like you've almost found it easier to concentrate
1: um yeah definitely I think that's definitely a good point um and as well it's whether it's whether you're relaxed as in you're relaxed in your mind and with your emotions but maybe you're not as switched on as what you would be I think I've there's, there's been times where when there's a big crowd you get the adrenaline rush and that really gets you gets your beans going and you're really like you're just on the ball with everything and potentially without the crowd you're not in that um in that place in that mindset i think they they call it like flow don't they like the state of flow and um you just yeah you just get to a point where you feel invincible and i think the crowd does add to that but Yeah, it's an interesting point, I think, and yeah, whether people are just relaxing and you're not getting abuse off anyone, so um, you're less under pressure and you just then, you just do your skills to your best of your ability and and, and, um, yeah, just show off really, show off what you can do.
0: Obviously, my football career has been in front of no crowds whatsoever, Matt, and I can safely say it hasn't improved my performance, what
1: one got. But anyway, we'll come back to that point. Um, I think it's good for people that they haven't seen your football.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Surely for that sort of uh, level of abuse. Um, Harry, what do you you think about the fact there have been no fans at all? Do you think, could could it have worked at all with any fans? One of the questions that one of our uh, social media uh, uh, Fans loosely, as as pinged in was a question of, Do you think we could have had any fans in the stadium? Do you think that could have worked, or would it have made a difference to you?
2: Well, it wouldn't have been many, so it probably wouldn't have done done much, really. But um, I didn't, I couldn't see why we couldn't really have anybody in because they had three hundred in for the snooker, and that's that's all indoors. So um, I don't know. It's obviously above our pay grade, so um, I'd have liked to have some people there, but. Like I said, we we can't really do anything about it. It's up to the yeah. government and up to ECB and people above us.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so let's go back in time a little bit because so I think a lot of people will be interested um, if they're listening in just about the background of how you guys became became Yorkshire players. So Matt, let's start with you. Uh, obviously, I read out that little thing saying I think I think I think the statistic is aren't you one of the youngest players ever to play for Yorkshire at uh, first class cricket?
1: Uh, I think list day, not first class.
0: Right, but still not that old at 15 and whatever, however many days it was. Um, at, uh, what's the path there? Were you were you, were you one of these kids who was picking up a cricket bat too because your family were massively into cricket or are you just freaky good at cricket?
1: No, yeah, well, um, the background isn't that cricket orientated as in like my... My dad didn't really play, he played a little bit at school, but never played, he was more of a, a footballer on a Saturday afternoon, um, kicking people by the hips, I think, so um, <laughs> I didn't get much cricket talent off him, but um, my eldest brother just took it up when when he was like 11 or 12, he went down to my cricket club that I've always played at, Sherfoot and Bridge, and um, from that point on, uh, Mark played after Adam, he was... there's 10 years between me and Adam and five years between me and Mark and Mark and Adam so um, they'd had quite a lot of cricket experience before I was born so um, yeah I just I just carried on that trend really and and got into it Um, about five or six played my first like um, competitive game at like seven I think in the under nines at the club Um, and then just went on from there really I think The one big reason I think that I played so young was I always played a year above myself at Yorkshire school. So um, I played with Jordan Thompson, Jared Warner in their their year group um, uh, all the way from under 10. So I was 10 and playing in the under 11s and stuff. And I think that was a really big thing for me. And then obviously having two brothers being older, um, running in bowling and you're bowling at them and they're they're better batters than what you're facing at at your own age group. So it was always a tough test and um and then playing playing club cricket early. I think I started at twelve. So again getting into men's cricket as quick as you can. Um I was just always playing with people that were better than me really and I had to adapt and and get better quickly if I wanted to perform. So I'd say that's the main reason why I played so young.
0: And just, if you just go back to your brothers did you have um, did you have a garden big enough for you and your brothers to have a knockabout uh, yeah, yeah, then well. I think that's a massive thing for kids isn't it is that you know my own lad he, he's, he's, oh, he's okay at football but I think that's out the fact we had a garden where he could have a kickabout not, yeah. not because of coaching skills on a Saturday I think it's yeah, just yeah. that ability to play every day if you want to play so and, and is that what, what you had with your brothers?
1: Yeah, yeah, we were lucky enough to have a decent garden and I think my grandma bought us a net when we were fairly young, which was unbelievable. Um, For me, my brothers and then my cousin lives across the road as well, lives older as well, so, um, yeah, just always be in the nets and then at my club as well, they had the bowling machine and my dad would be, we would be down on that with three, four times a week after school, so, um, yeah, like, Parents are massive in the fact that um, they always put so much into taking me everywhere and and giving up the time to make sure that I could progress young because I think I think you do learn the most when you're young like you're you're a bit of a sponge and you're not as stubborn as as you get when you get become an adult and you think you know you think you know best so kids just take everything in and um, I think that's what I did really yeah and and when when did you first get
0: spotted by Yorkshire when 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 did you know when playing for York to become something that you thought you know what I might be able to do that
1: yeah well it was obviously very quick from played academy I think 13, 14 and um, I think just just before them academy games I had a really good um, festival we used to play a lot of teams down at Taunton um, there was a couple of age groups that you'd go down for a week there and, uh, and play against different teams and uh, Tony Pickersgill was our coach who Um, he's left Yorkshire now but it was massive impact on my bowling Um, as a young player I always went to him for my bowling advice and technique and stuff and um, yeah I was bowling just that week I just seemed to bowl rapid and for a 13 year old and uh, he kept telling people that I was bowling 85 and all the kids were like really scared of of me before the game started so I think he put a bit of um, yeah he, he put a bit on it a bit of tact on it um, definitely won't an eighty five at thirteen, but maybe late seventies. So um, yeah, it just and then it just went on from there. I think he must have um, said positive things around to and, and people around the academy, and then they said, "Oh, we'll, we'll give him a go in the, in the academy." So um, yeah, never looked back from there, and um, I never I never really thought about playing for Yorkshire until probably the week before. Um, they told me that I was making my debut, really, because, you know, I never really thought that far ahead and um, just played each game and uh, did well in the second team the week before. And then I think Dizzy said he was the best bowler this week to Farby and Farby said me. So he said, oh, well, if he's if he's been the best bowler, then he's, he's good enough to play. So played at Scarborough.
0: And have you? I mean, I'll ask Harry the same question in a minute. But have you, did
1: you? At that, if I met you
0: at that point in your life, then Matt, would it, would you? Have, would you have said to me that you were struggling to get your feet on the ground, or has that have that been a problem for you?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say so. I think I'm fairly level-headed and mature. And um, I know my grandma always says to me whenever I see her, "If you ever get too big for your boots, then you'll you'll know because I'll have told you." So, um, yeah, I just think. I've never really, yeah, I, I just want to achieve, I just want to achieve as much as I can. Um, you obviously, as a sportsman, like, people always say about the money as footballers and stuff and cricket, you do, I'd like to think that me and Brookie do get paid well for the age we are, but, like, to me, that's never, I've never been that interested in in that side of it, I just want to achieve stuff and play for England and, that's the end goal that I always want to achieve, and um, that's just yeah, that's just me. I just want to make my family proud by doing that. Really good
0: man. And Harry, can we just come back to your uh, how, how you started out? Obviously, you started playing young as well for uh, for Yorkshire. Were you on a similar path? Did you just get picked up because you were good at school, or how did how did it come about that you became a talented cricketer at a young age? Um,
2: well my, my dad and my two uncles pl- pl- used to play league cricket, um, well still do actually, still play league cricket in the uh, Air League at Berlin Wharf Um and my grandma grandma basically lives on the ground so we would just walk out the back door and we were on the cricket fields with nets and a bowling machine and, and all sorts of so after school I used to just go down there every night, in fact I used to live there basically. Um, So I'd be in the nets all the time down there with my granddad and my dad and and whoever I could get hold of, really. (laughs) Just uh, ring up go around knocking on people's doors, asking me to feed me on the bowling machine. Um, Um but yeah, that's how I got into it, really, watching my watching my dad and my uncles every Saturday and and
0: learning a bit. Um watching them. And and in terms of that again. How did you find it hard to keep your feet on the ground? I mean, there must have come a point where you realised actually I'm, I'm possibly a bit better than dad and a bit better than uncle, and I'm starting to get into playing in a pretty serious level. Did you? Did you struggle with that at all, or was that were you adopting a similar stack of fish?
2: No, uh, no, I'd, I'd say I'm the same as fish. Really, I'm down at my home club every weekend when I can and watching them. Um, still getting advice from both uncles and dad. Which sometimes goes through through the other side of my head, <laughs> um. But um, but no, no, yeah, I'm definitely. I try to be as level-headed as possible, and and I think this year definitely I've improved on the
0: on that. Yeah. Well, talk to us about this under-19s uh, World Cup then back in 2018. So obviously, for me, from my perspective, that sounds like a meteoric ride. Um, and you were captain, is that right? So just just tell us what you took away from that experience.
2: It was an unbelievable experience. We were in Queenstown for the whole whole tournament as well, so it was uh, yeah, it was phenomenal to get to get playing in different countries and and having different experiences against different players and best players around the world at your age is, is quality, and thankfully, I scored a few runs ourselves out there. Um, and obviously, there's quite a lot of media stuff around then as well. So it was good to, good to get a bit of practice and and um, and portray my, what I thought about the games and stuff to, to the media
0: and and yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. And uh, when you met these other players from around the world, did you if you if I sat next to you on the plane flying home, would you would you have said to me? Oh, my Lord, we're a miles away from these guys. Or would you have said, well, that's encouraging because, you know, we've put on a good show here?
2: Well, we didn't get as far as we wanted in the in the tournament. Um, a leg spinner bowled us out. <laughs> he got eight for us, something like that. And had a, a, I think he got about ten games in the tournament. He got eight against us. So, he had a bit of a storm. Um but no, I, I scored quite a few runs on the trip and I think I got into the team of the tournament or something like that. Um, but there was, there was players who have already played international cricket now, like Shaheen Afridi, who's been over here this summer, and Pithfish and, and some of them. So it's, uh, it's nice to see them doing well and, and to say I've played against them already is a, is a nice feeling.
0: This podcast is, needless to say, sponsored by Blacks Solicitors. Blacks is a law firm based in Leeds and we provide a range of commercial, property and private client services to clients throughout the United Kingdom. Obviously, I'd love you to enjoy this podcast and then use our services on any legal issues you have going forward. If you visit lawblacks.com, you'll see the kind words that existing clients have had to say about the services we provide. Now, back to the podcast. Let's talk about life as a, a pro cricketer. I think Fish just touched on it then slightly, uh, uh, Matt. So if I just come back to you, what's uh, in a normal week? I appreciate that we've just finished the season and we're, we're you're on some downtime at the moment, but on a normal week, you know, are you lads leaping out of bed at six in the morning to go running, or are you
1: lying in bed till nine o'clock because that's what they tell you to do? You know, how how does your normal day pan out? Uh, yeah, it's obviously different in the winter to the summer. Um, obviously, I think winter, we usually start mid-November um, and start fairly quiet before Christmas. We have a lot of uh, gym and running and stuff and not much cricket before winter, um, just so we don't get burnt out with too much cricket before uh, before April comes, because I think everyone knows that the uh, county schedule is very hectic. So um, I think that's something that Gailey never wants us to be burnt out. Before April, he wants those to be fresh. So um, I think when Brookie's asking for extra batting and stuff, they don't really like giving him it, giving him it because of that reason. So, right. um,
0: so they're almost keeping you on the leash, aren't they? They're almost, you know, they're not letting you get too far ahead. So, they're... yeah, I don't know what I'm doing behind the scenes though. I'm at school yeah. with my old school coach. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're <laughs> back down at
1: Grandma's going out on the pitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, that's before Christmas. Just Jim and Jim and running, really. I think people have always ask me, "Oh, what's your schedule like?" And I think before Christmas, I'm a bit embarrassed to say what it is because we're probably in by nine and done by eleven or twelve because you can't do too much physically in the day, otherwise. Yeah, otherwise you'll be very knackered. So, and what does the, so in that period of time? What does the club say to you about the afternoons? I
0: mean, is it absolutely free rain? You can go do what you like or do they you hear don't your certain football team saying you must rest, you must you must try and have an afternoon nap or whatever? Or, or is it a bit more relaxed like at that point in time?
1: Yeah, it's a bit more relaxed. I think they kind of let you do what you want, really. They obviously want you to recover well and stuff like that, but I think they know that the winter for us is downtime and um, whatever your interests are, whether it's think, a few lads play golf sometimes and... Um, a few lads probably have extracurricular stuff that they they want to work on and, and stuff for outside of the game. Um, a lot of coaching goes on with a lot of the younger lads helping out um, during the week at, at Headingley for the younger age groups, the pathways and stuff. So all good experience for them doing that. Um, and then when Christmas is finished, it's again gearing up to a pre-season really. So um, you start looking at your workloads for your bowling because you have to build them up quite steadily and uh, stuff like that. And then a lot more scenario-based stuff um, indoors. So um, you'll get like me bowling at the likes of Brookie in a T20 scenario indoors um, where it's set up how much he's chasing or uh, I'm bowling the first innings, first ball at him and stuff like that. And we we try and match up um, what stages of the game you'll bowl that or bat in and and try and be really specific in that. So, um, yeah, just yeah, it's just a lot of physical stuff before Christmas, and then add a bit of cricket and be be trying to be ready and fresh for pre-season.
0: And Harry, when you train uh throughout the be through the season, or even you know just in in the run-up to the season, how hard you know every day of the week? I mean, how hard can you train? Because if we had a boxer on here now, he'd be saying he or she would be saying, well. Some of them love sparring, don't they? Love they, they do loads of sparring. But some boxers say I don't like sparring because sparring is like having a real fight. You know, it takes so much out of you. But if I really put too effort into sparring, then I won't have enough in the tank when it comes to the real fight. How sort of how much pressure is it on you to perform every single day at training? I think that's why they give us so much
2: time off. Like like Fish said, there we we start at nine and we finish by eleven because the trainings intense and we wanna we wanna be as hard working as possible so we get the, the rest of the afternoon off and fresh for the next day. Um, but it's it's quite um, individualized I think. It depends on who wants what and and especially before Christmas if you want to bat then you can bat but it's it's all optional really. Um for me I I like to bat a lot so I'd wanna I'd wanna bat for hours but at the minute, it probably isn't the best thing for me. And and I think I probably won't be doing anything cricket-wise before Christmas. Um, just to, like Fish said, to be fresh and ready for the season. OK.
0: Um, let's talk about distractions then, because, again, people will think, oh, being a professional sports person, that's brilliant, must be great. But how much, how do you deal with, or do you find it distracting, the media? Harry, you had a little taste of it, didn't you, about the sounds of it, with the World Cup. You know how how distracting is the media? How distracting are other outside forces? I mean, crikey, i have contacted you, made you do this podcast today. You know, it's it's how how distracting is are these things? Does any of this take you away from your your playing?
2: No, not really. I think it's quite nice to do different things and and doing a podcast. I'm not going to be doing that every day, and and to uh, to be talking about the game. I like talking about batting and stuff. So I think it's quite nice. Um, I don't actually follow Yorkshire on Twitter, so if there's any bad comments on there, I don't, I don't read them. Um, I think during season, if you're reading a load of negative things, then it can get in your head, and, and you can start doubting yourself and whatever. So I, uh, yeah, I kind of stay away from, from, kind of stay away from cricket stuff on on social media. I watch what?
0: myself bat though. <laughs> <laughs> well, who wouldn't? Bish, what about you? Do you do you read social media? Do you are you distracted by it or encouraged by it?
1: Yeah, I used to, I used to be fairly vocal on Twitter and stuff, and um, giving my opinions on the game and stuff like that, and always kind of looking. Um, I was kind of the well opposite of Brookie a couple of years ago, of like looking at a lot of comments and and stuff like that, and it's definitely not helped me at all. So I've tried to try to block that out as much as I can and it gets you in a bad space and it's probably only five to 10 people that are not informed correctly that you're that passing a judgment and you think that you should believe it. So, um, it's something that I stay away from. And, um, again, I think your family is such a good, um, support and, and, and a base for you to, to, to talk to and, and express what you're, what you're feeling and stuff like that, so I try and just do that now. And um, I think, I think, and especially in this pandemic and stuff, I just think the media, I think, just let let the country down a bit. I think it's a big statement. But um, I watched the Freddie Freddie Flintoff documentary. I don't know if you've seen that um, yeah. on his bulimia stuff on BBC, and um, he said that. He never had a problem until he played for England, and they were um, they were calling him Fat Freddy's from from the word go, and he hadn't even played a game yet. And um, I think that was definitely the starting point of something mentally that he's not dealt with for a while. And it was obviously touching to to hear his story and stuff on on that on that last night. So um, yeah, I definitely feel like the media let him down as an individual, and the amount of stuff that. You read that's not correct and stuff and that makes a makes someone have an opinion on something that's completely not fact. So um, I definitely try not to to read as much stuff now and and follow the people that are trusted. Um, what do you say to the younger players? Do you give them a bit of guidance about using social
0: media or does the club do that?
1: Um, yeah, we've always been helped with PCA, uh, Matt Wood, um, throughout the academy, did a lot of sessions on uh, media or other stuff, financial, whatever, um, which was really helpful, I felt, on the academy. And um, I think we do, especially like myself, I think with the younger lads now, if you do see them going on uh, on Twitter or anything, um, then definitely flag them up and say, oh, I've learned that this isn't the best thing. So it's up to them to then not look at it. But um, yeah, we definitely try and, try and send that message to lads that are younger than us. So, yeah, definitely.
0: Good. Harry, can we talk about winning and losing and how we deal with it? Because um, cricket, for me, is one of those games you seem to have a spell where we win and it's great and then suddenly you can lose a game. How do you cope with... I mean, on, a, on an average day when you've won a four-day game, you know, what's the reaction there? Are you on a high for days on end or... You allowed to go out for the night, or how do you normally deal with a victory? You know, we're going to move on to how you cope with the defeat next. So how do you, how do you guys deal with a victory? I think it's all about being
2: level-headed, really. You've got to win or lose. You've got to be the same. Um, and yeah, you can go out for a few drinks and stuff, but at the end of the day, next week you can have another game, which you've got to win. So um, I think you've got to be as level-headed as possible, and. And enjoy enjoy a win when you when you get it, but also don't be too down on yourself when you lose.
0: Yeah, so so on, on a defeat, well, let's say things haven't gone as well as you'd have hoped with the bat, etc. When you come back to the changing room, I mean, people presumably say to you, "Well, never mind, Harry," or you know, I mean, do you do you sit and discuss it and talk walk it through, and do you just go sit in a corner for a bit, or how do how do you deal with that sort of mental challenge of the game?
2: This year we did uh, in the T twenty, we did. Um, we did have a, a routine, so we'd we'd come in, um, go have a shower, have some food and whatever, and the coaches and and captain would go talk about the game and review it between themselves, and then they'd come back and speak to the players about it and ask ask opinions and what they thought, and and I think that worked quite well, because um, like I said, at the end of the day, we're probably gonna have a game a couple of days later, which we've got to win, um, so there's no point no point dwelling on it and you just got to get on with it and, and look forward to the next game. Take the positives and, and identify the negatives and, and try and work with it.
0: Were you always like that, Harry? Or were you one of these guys who used to come back and you know go nuts if you won and then smash the place up if you lost? Or uh, it sounds like you've got a, a level there that you can cope with. Have you always been like that? Or have you had to teach yourself that?
2: Well, my dad, whenever I used to play games with my dad, he always used to beat me, so... Um, I think I've become quite good at losing. Um, but, yeah, like I said, trying to be as level as possible when we win or lose, um, because it's our job and it's going to happen in the game,
0: isn't it? And, Fish, do you, how do you cope with the highs and the lows?
1: Yeah, I think, obviously, like Brookie said, you've got to remain level-headed and and try and look at things in a perspective that uh, you're not emotional and you, you look at um, periods in the game where, did you lose it because of that or did you not? Or was, was your preparation right? I think a lot about what we talk about at the minute is whether we could control it or not. But I definitely think the skill of being level with winning as well, like I do think it's something that experience teaches you um, because the more times you get up and then you might be complacent in the next game. Um, again, that's more learning and stuff like that. And there's a young player playing for such a big county you win a game for Yorkshire I know I've had it in the past I'm like that winning one game for Yorkshire is such a great feeling Um, and you go home absolutely proud as punch but I think the young players now that have come through that transition period that Yorkshire have talked about we don't want to just win one game or the odd game here and there I think we've realised that winning one game for Yorkshire isn't the same feeling as winning a, a trophy for Yorkshire and it's something that we haven't experienced yet as a as a group, and and I know that we've we've been fairly close behind a group that's been an absolutely incredible team with that 2014 and 15. But we want to emulate that, and um, we don't want to wait too much longer. So um, it's something that as a group we're aware of, and I feel like we are pushing each other to get to them heights and set them standards and stuff like that. And I think there's a real good core group of youngsters that have got. Good heads on the shoulders that hopefully will have sustained sustained uh, uh, trophies for Yorkshire in the coming years. And uh, Harry, with the um,
0: the overseas players not being really able to play for Yorkshire, some of the younger lads have had a chance, haven't they? In some of the games this season, um, obviously, a great opportunity for them. Do you think the club will? continue with that sort of approach or, or or do you think it's more likely to go back to using the overseas players?
2: I think it's obviously a positive to see young lads come in and 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 do well, really. Um likes of George Hill come in and and bowl very well and and batted pretty well. So it's nice to see that you've got people behind behind you, or the, like you most played players who are pushing to to try and get a place. Um and I don't, I don't know if we're, if we're going to stick, to stick to using the young players because that's up to the coaches and, and the club between them.
0: OK, so I've got some questions here, chaps, that the, uh, some people have pinged through on social media. Uh, I'll belt through them. Uh, Fish, I'll come to you. Which current Yorkshire players are destined to represent England in your opinion? Uh, and the uh, the question there from Jonathan says you are allowed to nominate yourself if you're bold uh, <laughs> enough to do so. Who 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 have you got in there? You think has got the potential?
1: Well, I think um, in the near future, um, which I can't believe Harry's not been looked at yet or uh, even been in the Lions squad, is Cody. Um, I think the skill he has with the ball. Um, and the numbers that he's had in in division one as well. There's a lot of players that get touted that are not even playing in division one, which, um, even though his pace, they say about his pace, but there's definitely people in, um, in test cricket that bowl similar speeds to Cody. Um, and I look at like Mohamed Abbas and, uh, Philander maybe had a little tiny bit more pace, but they're definitely in that mold and, um, I do hope that he gets that chance to show what he can do because he deserves it. Like, he's done absolutely incredible things. He's an absolute genius with the ball. Um, we're always purring at his, at his bowling when, when we're out there, all those lot. Um, it's actually a, a joy to behold, I think. And um, I definitely hope that he gets his chance very soon. Um, and then I think Tom. Tom Cole cadmore has been close with Lions stuff. Um, I think he's his all around game's pretty good um with both white and red. I think they obviously I think they see him as more of a white ball cricketer at the minute, but I think a couple of years of opening the batting for Yorkshire in red and it could really stake a claim and put people under pressure in the England team. And I think it's difficult for Tom. I think in in white ball cricket, especially. I think in in any other era he might have played by now, um, but just the volume of top order batsmen that England's white ball team have got, he's, he's found it hard to to get in really, and he's probably his performance is probably Grant doing it, like I said in in other eras, maybe five ten years ago, um, especially so a little bit unlucky in that regard. But again, he's so hungry to learn and and very very professional with his fitness and stuff that he's trying to work on and um, very specific um, and then obviously Brookie as well so Brookie's a bit younger than the other two and um, I think he's still got a little bit to learn um, but he's becoming more and more of a rounded batter in all formats I think um, especially in Red ball this year he's come on leaps and bounds and um, you can just tell from his practice and and the way he is in the middle, um, he's, just, he's just so much more clear of his game plan. And, and you could see that. And yeah, I think he was actually um, unlucky to not get a massive score this year because he definitely batted the way that he, he, he had to do. He was unlucky. I think he got probably the ball of the century after the worn one um, at Knotts when I, I was watching from home. And I was just he was just playing as if he was on a different pitch to everyone else. Um, and that's the talent he's got, and he knows he's got that. He's got the self belief, and I know that I'm confident that he'll he'll definitely um, keep them performances going in the next next couple of years, and um, he'll definitely have have penciled him in playing for England. So hopefully, he lives up to that, and I, I'm sure he will. Yeah, and do you think he'll still remember us when when he's famous? I hope so. Yeah, um, I'm sure. Um, he'll.
0: Uh, and Harry, uh, obviously a few kind words there from uh, Fish. Any, any thoughts in return about uh, Mr Fisher? <laughs>
2: um, it's a bit of a blowing smoke up you on this uh, <laughs> this podcast, isn't it? Um, yeah, obviously Fish is a very good bowler, and his, uh, his action is just unbelievable to watch. It's so nice. And he's, he's obviously got a very good skill, swinging it both ways, seaming it, whatever. He always seems to get something out of a pitch no matter no matter what pitch you're playing on, um, and yeah, hopefully, hopefully you can go on and play for England. But, but like you just said about me, there's still everybody's still learning, and
0: we've still got to go out and perform and uh, for Yorkshire. Yeah. And um, in terms of sporting heroes, uh, Harry, who, who 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 were your sporting heroes as you were growing up? That question's been asked. Uh,
2: Sachin Tendulkar. AB de Villiers um, I, I loved watching them too but they were they were phenomenal they just they just make the game look so easy especially de Villiers when he gets down and sweeps Dale Stane who's bowling 90 miles an hour over square leg for six it's like wow yeah. well done um, yeah, he's a pretty he's a pretty special player and obviously looking at Virat Kohli and, and Williamson as well who, who just play the ball so late and, and all the all the uh, all the international players make it look easy, but but you look at the top three there and, and root as well. They just make it look make it look like they're playing a
0: different game. What about you, Fisher? Are all your top sporting heroes cricketers, or
1: any other sports that have caught your eye? Uh, yeah, our well, cricketing heroes probably. I always say I always say this, and they're both Lancastrian, but um, <laughs> Jimmy Anderson and and Flintoff because. Jimmy, cause I feel like um, I've always tried to model my bowling kind of on him, and the skills that um, I learn are always off like Sky, Sky looking at his seam position and his wrist position and stuff like that. Um, so uh, him as growing up and obviously England's best ever bowler, and then Flint off the way that he out of nowhere got the crowd going and and was just unbelievable to watch. Um, yeah, he just that 2005 Ashes. I always say that that was the kind of the moment where my love for cricket really developed into something big, and um, he was kind of the at the at the middle of that in that summer, and came on with bat or ball. He just just do what he wanted whenever he wanted, and got anyone out when he wanted. So he just had a, a knack of of being great to watch and very entertaining did you get your sle- uh, sledging ability from finter's <laughs> office <laughs> yeah my sledging isn't going very well chris i might need some help
0: you you don't strike me as the greatest sledger in the world matthew if i'm being brutally honest <laughs> now harry you're a different cup of tea mate <laughs> so, uh, one of the questions that's come in here is about uh kids coming up to you know playing cricket but also being good very probably at football, perhaps even rugby. Uh, Fish, where do you think, what's the age where somebody should be concentrating on one sport?
1: Uh, not sure, really. I think probably mid like 14, 15. Um, only through probably experience with me that played football up until then, alongside my cricket in the winter and then cricket in the summer and stuff. And once cricket became... Um, something where the you were training with the academy in the winter and and stuff like that. Um, I had to really focus on that. Um, well, but, was that your
0: idea, or did somebody actually sort of recommend that you focus on one? Uh,
1: no, they, well, they never really said you can't play uh, other sports, but I think it was my my own decision to right. This is I was definitely better at cricket than football, so. I wasn't expecting myself to be a pro footballer, so I just saw this as an opportunity to, to uh, yeah, live the dream of being a sportsman and and uh, enjoy cricket probably more than football. So it was just a hobby that turned into a job in the end of the day, and um, and now just it's still chat as a hobby and him enjoying it. And uh, but back to your question, I think obviously play as much as you can. I think Brookie played a lot more sports than me. Um, and is a lot more talented in the in the tennis and badminton and stuff like that department. Um, so yeah, I'm sure he's got a better answer than me. But um, I think from experience of Butler and Davillas and stuff like that, I think they played a range of different sports up to a, a decent age and still probably do now. So yeah, do whatever you can to help you help refine your your skills.
0: What do you what do you say to that, Harry? Are you in you in agreement with that? Do you think sort of mid teens is about the right time to start concentrating on one sport? Yeah, one hundred percent. I stopped playing
2: rugby at about fourteen. Um, I think you can still play a lot of sports. Just try and cut out the, the the contact ones because obviously they're the ones where you're gonna most likely gonna get injured and, and not gonna be able to play cricket. So um, I still play golf, squash here and there, and. I uh, uh, stopped skiing when I was about 16, so I still try and do do other sports because I enjoy it and it gets me away from cricket.
0: Now, if we had our mutual friend Adam Live sat with us today, uh, he'd be telling us that he could have played professional football, wouldn't he? Because I know that's one of his (laughs) favourite stories. Uh, And I say that in the brave knowledge that I know he's in Whitby and and can't come out of the office. Um, So, but Live, he's got his testimonial year. Uh, which has now turned into Lively's testimonial 18 months. Um, tell us a bit about Adam Lively and what influence he's had with you and your experience at Yorkshire.
2: Uh, he's an absolute legend. Um, he's, he's a funny bloke. He's, uh, he's good to have around the changing room. He's very loud. You don't want to be standing next to him if someone hits a boundary because your ear drums are gone. Um, yeah, he's, a, he's a good bloke and he's obviously... He's obviously a very good player, and and he's he's been around the circuit for a long time. So it's it's nice to be be out there batting with him, um,
0: even when his beans are going. Um, but yeah, he's he's a great bloke. Right, and fish, do you um as 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 Lithy told you that story about how he could have been a professional footballer? Yeah,
1: I think he's told everyone, hasn't he?
0: <laughs> he's certainly told me. Uh, I am, of course, uh, the chairman of his testimonial year, which, uh, which I'm delighted to say has been extended to the end of next year because obviously the COVID restrictions put the kibosh on that. We've only had one event last March. But uh, anybody listening to this, if you're uh, interested in supporting Adam Lyes' testimonial year, if you contact me uh, or needless to say, search Google, you'll find the web the page sets out. We're just replanning the events for next year. We just went to the fixture list, perhaps not surprisingly, lads. Come out because we obviously have to arrange events around the fixture list, uh, needless to say, but if people can spot that. And I've got a final question for you, Fish. Um, when Yorkshire County Cricket Club were 2 1 down in the football match against Blacks Listers last November, I remember looking across at half time at the huddle in the Yorkshire camp, seeing a few fingers being pointed and a few words being exchanged, uh, slightly different. Uh, ambience in the Blacks uh, half-time team talk where we were in stunned silence because we couldn't believe we were winning. Um, Who was doing that team talk and what was said?
1: (laughs) There's one man and one man only that was doing that team talk and that's Jared Warner. Um, He's he's always taken the mantle of being our our football coach and um, I don't know whether people know, but we... um, he started a he started a five-a-side team a couple of years ago where we played just before Christmas down at, at goals at Leeds and uh, we'd meet for Hernandez before the game and he'd tell us all where we were in our positions and what we had to do and all this tactical battles and stuff like that and um, yeah he loves that his nickname's the gaffer um, for obvious reasons and yeah I think especially that night looking back I think we tried to play like Man City. <laughs> I realised at half-time that it's not really a game for that, I don't think.
0: No, I don't think you need to play like Man City to win that game either, I'm being honest with you, lads. Harry, you were there, I remember. My whole game plan was around, let's play the ball down where Harry is, because he had (laughs) been a rugby man. Obviously, it didn't work second half. You came back strong and won. Uh, Some would say that was good for business, from my perspective, but uh, it was good. Uh, Do you still enjoy the odd game of football like that, Harry? Uh, I didn't enjoy that one because I'd just
2: bought some football boots about an hour before. So a, I'd got about 85 blisters on my feet, so I couldn't move. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: we'll we'll but, edit um, that out so Gailey doesn't hear that. So, uh, <laughs> or, or even worth Mark Arthur if he listens in. But, uh, but no, all way, right, it lads, look, we've been going for 40 minutes. Thanks very much. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on and thanks for, for being so honest. The thing I'm really taking away from this conversation is that when I look back at where you both got started, you both recounted tales of having access either to a garden or having access to a cricket pitch and having access to nets and having access to other people who play cricket with you. And and if there's anybody listening to this podcast who has any influence over buying or sharing or making uh, facilities available for kids, I think you only need to listen to these two guys to realise that the answer here isn't that these lads were born superb cricketers, but they've become... Very, very good cricketers even superb some or certain grandmas might say um because they had facilities when they were young kids so i think as a country if we want to uh, win world cups and we want to um succeed at the highest level uh we need that we need facilities so uh but lads thanks very much for for joining us uh enjoy your time off i'm sorry we can't play our annual football match i don't think there's much time to that before christmas and I suspect after Christmas, Gailey will say we can't play it. so it might be next year, uh, which means we'll put it down as a draw for the first time ever. Uh, <laughs> and I'll set the point. Uh, but uh, Matthew, Harry, thanks very much. All the best with your careers. Uh, everybody I know in Yorkshire is proud of you. Thanks for all you do. And thanks for uh, helping kids uh, become better cricketers. Thanks for your time.
1: Thank you. Harry. Right, thank you.